You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Woo, good morning. What up? First I'm sorry. Time. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Andy. We got we How replaced Chris. We replaced him with someone uh, more important, I think. I was gonna say Chris got a hell of a remodel job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, we uh gosh, it's been a minute. I uh I don't know, those of you that have been with us along the long journey, you guys are are well Jeff is well known in our world and has been with the real estate radio hour, my gosh, for Jeff, what has it been, 10 years? Oh, yeah. Good, at oh, least yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and man, the conversations over the years, you and I and Chris have really, I feel like there's been like a history book written the amount of time that we've known each other with what's happening in our industries. And, you know, it's just been crazy. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, well, let's do this. Uh, maybe... Um, for those of the people that are they're tuning in that uh, maybe aren't as familiar with you as I and and uh, Nick and Chris are, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit here? Give us uh, your company and then a little bit of what you do and maybe what you want to talk about today. What you think you know is important to talk about? Sure, sure. Uh, well, Jeff Sweetful, I've been an attorney in the Twin City area for over thirty five years. Um, I've also worked in the title industry for over 20 years. So I've kind of had a, you know, a background in the industry that, that and, and seeing what's happened over the, you know, from the 2000s all the way to now, early 2000s and uh, was on with you guys uh, starting in, you know, 10, you know, 2010 or 11 in the, in the real recession period. And, and I've really focused a lot on distressed properties and, and short sales over the years uh, in my law practice. And, uh, um, you know, seeing some some things with that, I could talk about some different, some kind of significant yeah. things I've seen there. Um, seen some other things too, that kind of in the distressed property world too. So uh, it kind of depends on what you'd like to talk about, Andy, but well, uh, you know, let's, let's do this because I think that, you know, kind of keeping, and by the way, thank you for all the years of loyalty and, and great information. And uh, I tell you, you guys, you know, one thing that uh, is kind of cool is that if you're watching this, you have a question. I love that Jeff is so good on the fly. He can answer the questions as they come in a lot of times. So if anybody has a question, you know, feel free to message the show on Facebook or whatever, and then we'll uh, uh, get those on air here. But um, or even after the show's over, if you see this and the show's already been, uh, you know, aired and you want to uh, send us message, we'll make sure Jeff gets it and then we get back to you with an answer. Um, you know, the marketplace right now. So uh, over the last 18 months, a lot of real estate agents have really, and loan officers for that matter, have considered this market to be very challenging. And it's, it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we get in with interest rates, you know, uh, where they've been great for so many years. And then you have a great, you know, uh, run of, you know, the, I hate to say the, the great, the great uh, positivity of the, the COVID era, but there was a lot of housing challenges faced and, and accomplished with 
or, or fixed with what was going on. A lot of people realize, you know, hey, I got to work from home or the kids have to work from home or we just can't go anywhere. We need we need different living consider considerations. Rates were good. So it fueled the economy that way. But right now we're definitely seeing a shortage of houses. We're seeing higher interest rates. What I would call a more normal or a, a very kind of normal challenging market. Um, it's just different because, it you know, it's kind of like jumping out of the hot tub and, and jumping into the pool. And even though the pool's 85 degrees, it still feels cold. You know, and it's in it, you know, one of those kind of reactions or like Chris and I have always used the analogy of you're driving through North Dakota going 85 miles an hour and you hit the Minnesota border and have to slow down to 70. And it feels like you're walking. And, and I think that's kind of the direction we've been heading the last 18 months. But that being said, that, they do that to me here. <laughs> that's <laughs> good. That's good, Jeff. They're, yeah. No, so long story short, the average American family last year, this was this was published by NAR, National Association of Realtors, had $322,000 of equity in the average home of equity. And you and I both know equity equals options. Um, inflation's been killing a lot of families and they haven't changed their lifestyle. So we're seeing a lot of consumer debt piling on top of a lot of families. Groceries are higher going... I mean, a cheeseburger is $18. I mean, no matter where you go nowadays, it seems like. And it's like you, you work hard, you're stressed. And so you feel like, oh, I don't want to make any changes until you absolutely have to. So what I thought was maybe you and I would talk a little bit about that. Like, so if, if you're a family that's been going down that path and you're like, okay, wait, we're kind of running out of runway here to take off and fix this problem. What, what Jeff can help us with is maybe navigate us through, what do you do? I mean, what, what can a family that's in debt and has that, what, what do we do, Jeff? How do we help them? Well, well, I think that it's, it's to get the word out that there are things that you can do. Uh, you know, I, cause what I'm seeing right on what you're talking about, Andy is, is I'm seeing people that, that, um, they took the, they did a forbearance during, during the COVID period. And then when the forbearance was up, they didn't realize that a lot of them had to um, make a lump sum payment to pay back the, the months of mortgage that were forbeared. And they, they were forced into, um, you know, uh, uh, trying to get a loan modification and, and, and so forth. So they, they went down, they're kind of spiraling down a course where if they, if they don't qualify for a loan modification, where they're going to find themselves in foreclosure. And um, I'm seeing that a lot uh, uh, and it seems growing, you know, and, and also to what you're, to your point about all the other costs are going up, have gone up for cheeseburger, for gas, for groceries. And some people just weren't, they didn't have the resources to, you know, absorb these extra costs. And I'm seeing those people too. They're, they're just not able to afford their homes. And some of these people just bought their homes in the last couple of years so they are upside down. They, you know, they can't turn around and sell, um, you know, immediately after, you know, with closing, with, you know, with closing costs and, and, and so forth. And um, so I, I, I've seen a significant uptick in distress, people with distressed properties or they have a property and they're distressed, but they don't know what to do. They, they weren't really, they don't, they may not have been even a, a homeowner back in the days when you and I were working on so many short sales in the, you know, in the 2009 to you know, 13, 14 era. Well, so. Jeff, just for, just for sheer entertainment purposes, those new buyers and new uh, people that are new to the industry or new to the real estate market. Let's talk just for a couple seconds about when you say the term short sale, for an example, that was one of the, I mean, I did hundreds of short sales with you back in the day for clients. Can you explain to us what a short sale is and maybe the positive side of it and then the ramifications of it? Yeah, sure. What it is, is when you, 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 you typically, when you sell a property, you, you have to have, an, you have to get enough money out of the sale proceeds to pay your closing costs and commission and transfer fees, and then still have enough money left over to pay your mortgage off. Okay. Otherwise, you'd have to bring and write a write a check or you know at closing. Uh, with a, with a short sale, the lender allows you to deduct all those closing costs, and then they accept the difference what's left over, even if you're short ten thousand on your mortgage, twenty thousand, thirty thousand, whatever it is. 
Um, they allow you to do that and they agree to let you sell it and release the mortgage so that you can move on and avoid foreclosure. Um, and, and that, that, you know, that, that is, is a, a great help to a lot of people. Um, that, well, and, and I think Jeff too, you know, just kind of to jump in, uh, back in the days, the, the, the economy and the world was accounted differently. The way banks would take debt back in house was completely different and and they these banks so they didn't, they didn't become insolvent had to really put um pressure on the government to allow them to hold some of these negative loans or bad bad loans as i said on their books and allow them the consumer then also to you know not go into foreclosure to avoid foreclosure they would do these short sales right and then the big thing though that was really i think you and i uh were were most um, excited about is when they started changing the law so that the consumer on a federal level was not taxed for the amount that they were short. And on a state level, then ev eventually Minnesota followed along. I think they take a little, they have a little bit of lag time. And eventually the state would forgive that amount because let's say for an example, somebody get, uh, you know, they'd have a short sale and they're upside down $400,000 because there was some of these doozies that you and I would do that were big. And it was a yes. lot that these banks were writing off and uh, in the old days, they used to be taxed for that short. So, you know, you were given money in sense by being gifted or have it given away. And so they would tax you on it. So you'd get out of trouble, but you'd automatically go into tax trouble. So maybe talk just a little bit about that and how, you know. Sure. Hey, hey Jeff, just move to your, your right a little bit so I can put you guys both on full screen. How's yeah. that? Yeah. Good. That's See, better. They're picky here, Jeff. I, I tell you, I know. It's, I, I I know. My big production on time and <laughs> and yeah. We're yeah, I know it. Dick, Dick's a hard hard driver here on us, you know. Well, and 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 to, from what you were talking about, Andy, about the tax consequences. Yeah, that you know, in any sort of loan, if if a car loan home loan, if, if a, if a lender cancels debt, that's supposed to be taxable income to the borrower. But as far as federal law, there has been what's called the mortgage debt forgiveness act of 2007. And that's, that's been extended through 2025. So that if it's your primary residence and you have a short sale or a foreclosure, you get a 1099, you don't have to pay the, um, you don't have to pay income tax on that. Now, the state of Minnesota has, like you said, Andy, at times followed or what they call conform to that, that um, mm -hmm. tax treatment. And there were no was no state income tax um, through 2022. State of Minnesota was conforming um, and uh, they but now I, I haven't I haven't been able to verify for sure that they were they're going to do conformity for 2023 um or 2024 uh it seems like their decision comes out late in the year or beginning of the next year before the you know before tax filing starts so well, and you we know, should it, know it any is, yeah i was gonna say what's, what's really interesting though is that as your house grows and and just like a more a more a portfolio um of of you know mutual funds it grows in value eventually you're gonna have to pay tax on that so Think of this for an example. So your house, let's say you bought it for you know six hundred thousand. Now it's up to nine hundred thousand in value, and you have to do a debt consolidation. You pull out, you know, let's say one hundred and fifty thousand to pay off all your other debts, and that's that's one version of what happens in mm -hmm. two thousand and five, four, six, whatever you pick the year. You and I both had people that we knew that would have their house appreciate. $400,000 and they'd pull out all 400,000 because that back then you could go hundred percent debt. you know, uh, they didn't care because everything kept going up in value and right. you pull out 400,000 out and they go buy a nice big sea ray, put it down at the old St. Croix and have their big yacht paid for in cash. And right. then the house would get foreclosed on. So this is why they tax because there is a gain in some cases, right? I mean, can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. There is. Cause, uh, um, uh, if the debt was not used for um, purchase or improvement of your residence, just like you're saying, Andy, then it 
then there's a tax consequence to it uh, when the debt is canceled. You know, so so if you don't pay back that debt, th there is a tax consequence. There is income. So, and so I think absolutely. a lot of people got away with it. To be honest with you, I don't. I don't think there was a lot of, um, you know, I. But they, they could, right? I mean, that's the there's the potential. But there was a lot of people. I I saw them literally get away with murder. I mean, it was there was so much fraudulent activity back then. It was it was the wild wild west for a little while. I mean, it was yes. literally. I mean, I was I had yesterday we had a, an opportunity a speaking engagement we did where we had a, a panel of agents and they they asked me they said, hey Andy. What's the craziest situation you've ever been in in real estate with an offer that came in? And I said, uh, well, as a listing agent, I said, and first of all, this is at the time was legal. It, there was mm -hmm. no CFPB. There was no, you know, anybody watching. I mean, there was rules, but not really. This guy had a $1.2 million house and wanted to offer because he, he was doing very well. And then he did really bad. So he had this car that was paid for. He wanted to get rid of anyway. But if he sold the house for 1.2 million, he was going to clear over 600,000 out of that house, which would fix all of his problems. He could move on with life. So at 1.2 million, we were having trouble getting people looking at the house. So he started having where we'd run ads saying, you know, buy this house and the suburban stays. And we would offer like the free suburban. And I mean, it was ridiculous. Or he goes, I want you to offer a $100,000 basement remodeling project that we'll pay for at closing for somebody to have the basement remodeled. I mean, it was it was absolutely crazy. And yes. the amount of, of fraud that was going on. And this was like even normal people were trying to like, well, they did this. So if they did this bad. We'll only do this bad. And it's like it was it was crazy. So I'm so glad we're back into a, a world of where there's rules and people pay attention. And, you know, I, I agree because people would say, well, you know, other people are doing it. Well, how about all the people? There were many people that took out how several primary residents first mortgages you know as they were going to be their primary residents when they really weren't and that was another big fraud well, um, yeah i was part of one of those where i had a, a property on uh one of the beautiful executive homes in, in north brooklyn park and brand new house never lived in had it listed sold it and on that same day she goes oh i gotta get moving she goes i've got four more closings today and i said four she was well, i did three this morning this woman was closing on seven houses in one day, all at the same price point with different mortgage companies. They all thought they were just one mortgage. And this kind of crap was happening around the Twin Cities. And they'd fill them with renters. They, I mean, no verification of employment. I mean, it was ridiculous. And it was, I mean, you and I could probably have a whole show talking about the crazy that we saw. Yeah, and, and, and we're not really seeing anything like that these days. I mean, uh, the market is way different than it was then, I, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we're talking about some more short sales and that could help some people, but I don't see it being a huge uh, downturn like it was back then. How about you? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I just don't see people being sh hence the name short, right? Your first yes. mortgage is 150,000. Your second mortgage is 80 and we only can sell it for 200. Right. And so also we're short that 30 some thousand or whatever. We're not yeah. seeing that right now. We're now we're seeing no. where that same family with those debts, have a house that's worth 500,000, they can sell it, usually pay everybody off. Um, but it's, I, I, I'm seeing more of a consolidate consolidation where people rammed up their credit cards, they're maxed out on all their credit cards. We're seeing where, or they have the, I, I always hate to pick on them because I love the product, but like they're hauling around the $45,000 ice house behind their yes. $8,000 Denali truck. And right there's, you know, $3,000 a month in, in, in payments for trucks and, and, and ice houses and whatever. And so God bless America for having that ability to do things like that. But some people essentially have financially hung themselves and now they need to figure out a way to figure it out. Cause they're now we had a sweet spot, I think, and, and I'm sure you agree with this cause you probably were playing a lot more golf. Uh, the last couple of years when rates were low, people could refinance everything. There was a sweet spot in life where costs were low, interest rates were low, income started going high. And it was great. I mean, people were truly feeling that like they were getting ahead. And now that's reversed. They still have that feeling in their head, but now they're starting to see where that's starting to sink away. And now you're not getting ahead and you're kind of falling behind. And it's like, okay, where do you stop? And most people can't change their lifestyles. You know, right. so I, I'm I, just I, what they'll do. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, I, I do. 
And uh, so, so that's where we're seeing some more dis, dis, distressed properties than I've seen in the past. Right. You know, because I think, like in 2022, Andy, I saw over half the people that consulted with me on a short sale, they were able to sell for over asking and not do a short sale. Right. So, and, th and today I'm not seeing that as much. I'm seeing where if, if, if I'm referred to short sale, it's going to be a short sale. Uh, right. You know, there's not that leeway in the market that there was, I don't think so. Right. Hey, those, those stories from Andy got me curious. Uh, I don't know if you can speak on it, Jeff. I obviously don't use names, but what's the craziest story you had relating to this during the whole shabacle that uh, happened uh, in 2008, 2009? Boy, you know, um, I, I, I guess I did see a lot of, you know, pretty much innocent people get, get caught up in it, you know, because uh, you know, the things always things always happen. And then about three or four years later, we find out that that was a violation, you know, and maybe we should have, you know, people should have always understood it was like Andy said, but, you know, I you know, seen people that, you know, lost their, lost their jobs because they were say a closer and they, they had nothing to do with the scheme, but they were involved in a development and closed a lot of loan, you know, closed a lot of loans in it. And then they they caught up and got caught up in a federal investigation over yeah. what was going on and and you know there's a lot of things like that 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 mm -hmm. that were out there. I don't I without saying any specific names like you say, Nick. That you know I like the market better now, no no doubt about it. Well, and I think you know Jeff, a family that lives with without a lot of savings, which is a very normal. I hate to say it's normal, but it it's kind of the norm nowadays. Most people don't have a ton in savings to cover if they ever have. A loss of a job or income to make it too far without they have to replace that job so you're 100 right i think a lot of people that uh were out there that had purchased because rates were fair they still weren't as low as they were the last couple of years but they were fair you go out there and you'd get a loan and you'd borrow you know a normal family back then would let's say they could afford a 400 house they were buying a 700 dollars house because everything was going up 12 to 15 to 20 percent a year so it was like let's just buy the bigger house because it'll appreciate we'll make quick money we'll sell it well some of those families got stuck where all of a sudden they had that bigger house and they were able to stay there because they're in stated income you know they they didn't have necessarily verified because if they verified they wouldn't be able to get that loan but they're in a bigger house yes. then they lost their job and then they go okay well we'll just sell the house because we put four hundred thousand dollars down on that seven hundred thousand dollar house and then they go to sell it and they realize the house is worth 250. I mean, it was unbelievable how some of those monster, like mega beautiful homes and people that never sold their houses, Jeff, I don't think ever realized how horrible the numbers really got for a while, where if you want to sell, there's a cash guy, but he's going to pay 250. You're going to lose all the equity you've worked for your whole lives just because you made a bad, you know, real estate decision at that time. And so, I mean, I, like, I agree with you, Jeff, I saw more good people that made kind of ill advised decisions, maybe from you know, whoever advised them and said, Hey, get in this game. It's like a get rich quick scheme. Um, but I saw more families go bad. But one of the things I was going to talk about today too, Jeff, is that you're, you're more than just short sales, right? This is, this is what you and I have done a ton of before. Um, but you're actually a full fledged real estate attorney, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do, do yep. a lot of real estate work other than short sales. And, and that's really been a small part of the business. The last six seven years so so what are you working on nowadays because obviously you know there are still short sales out there there's always people you know fighting through the financial devastation of life but on a positive note what what other things do you you find yourself working on nowadays for clients you know i see a lot of deals where the there's a um a family you know selling you know or a landlord selling to their tenant or i see the family members you know buying a home and then selling it to a, as a, on a contract for deed to their child. I mean, uh, oh, another thing, Andy, is there seem, I've been seeing a lot of situations where family members buy a home together and then put together, you know, a, a business, like a partnership agreement between them for owning the home. A um, lot, lot of, a lot of positive things like that, where real estate is, uh, you know, it, it's a uh, 
part of helping people structure their real ownership of real estate. A lot of that. So in that arena, I know that there's a ton of back. If you think back a few years and we were back when we did our CCO, we had a lot of our crowd that was, it was very diversified on age, but I mean, there, there was a, a loyalty to our older crowd. And, and there was a lot of people asking things like as a, uh, an asset, that's probably my largest asset I have. I have the, the family cabin and it's valued at, you know, $600,000. I don't have a lot of money to give to my kids, but I want to make sure that they can have that cabin. And what, talk to us a little bit about maybe some strategies, Jeff, on how to avoid um, that inevitable, you go to a nursing home, they take your house away because they need the equity or as, as an elderly person or somebody heading into your retirement years and you want to gift your children something, maybe talk about a few options in that arena for us, would you? Sure, sure. Okay. And, and uh, one of the things that I would, there would be is, is that you, you, you know, if, if you want to pass the family cabin on, um, a trust, putting the cabin in a trust is a very good solution because typically when the parent is gone, then the kids have to be able to interact with each other and, and, and own the property together. Well, the trust, the, you can set up some, some rules of the road for them. You know, you could even set up a schedule. Well, which, you know, so they can alternate the major holidays like Memorial Day, you know, 4th of July, Labor Day, um, have, you know, have a structure for them so that they're not just at odds with each other once the parents are gone. Um, there, you, you know, the, the other part of it, like you said, is the nursing home part. That is a little bit different animal to, you know, to address. You, you really have to get the property out of your name and and have and stay out of you know need, need for uh, public you know medicare assistance for 5 years you know um it it it's another option you know to uh, try to finance your the potential of met, you know nursing homes so that you know by some sort of a uh, you know life insurance a lot, a lot of life insurance policies have disability riders now or things like that which is another option where then you don't have to, to say the parents uh, get the, the property out of their name um, and, and lose that control of the property. So it, the trust uh, topic is very interesting to me, though. So what are the negatives of that? It seems like everyone should put their homes in trust. You, you know, it, it's good. Good. Good point, uh, Nick. There there is. I guess the negative of a trust is, is that then you you have to manage the trust. You know, if you sell the property, you're selling as a trustee and there's a few more documents that are involved and and so forth. But on the other side, there's I mean, you you, you can have a structure to a trust. You can have a detail of how the you know, who's going to be the trustee. So if you have three children, well, maybe one's the best one to be the trustee and sort of manage the, the property. Um, another thing is it avoids the property going having to go into a probate court proceeding to transfer it. Um, th th there's real, there's a lot of good solutions, but a trust in itself does not avoid the chance that the possibility that, uh, for, that, you know, that there could be a medical assistance lien if, if the, if the owners go to, um, you know, into care. So what is the, Jeff, what is that window like? So, you know, if you, if you put everything into a trust, let's say you're 60 years old, and now you're 75 and then you're requiring some assistance, I would assume that trust would be free and clear and behind you. Is that not the case? Um, no, because they still consider, you know, in a, in a standard, um, what we call revocable trust, the, the, that is, you know, standardly used, you still, they, they still, the state still considers that you own the property. So the trust doesn't start that clock ticking of that five-year period of time that that the property has to be out of your name for it not so then it's not counted towards your care uh you know being able to pay for your care um you have to actually do what's called an irrevocable trust which um or or an outright transfer to your children now what for an outright transfer what you, you know you could transfer it to the kids into a trust where you're no you know where you're not the trustee you're not a beneficiary um, you know, there, that's what an irrevocable trust would be like. So um, that's fair, but a lot of that. people, exactly. I was just going to say a lot of parents, 
have a hard time putting things into a trust and then just saying, okay, good luck kids. And then you live another 30 years and you might need that money in the future, you know, or whatever, even though you're trying to protect it, things happen. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, I mean, you know, it, it's not a bad idea if you're healthy and younger that you look at some sort of a long, a long, a long-term care type financing or insurance um, because, uh, you know, typically I guess people only typical person that goes into medical, you know, nursing home care is only there about, I think it was 24 to 30 months. So if you can finance that another way, you don't have to lose control of your property. That that's okay. Yeah. What about now, Jeff, mm -hmm. you know, I've also heard and, and you and I both have sat on, we were on air listening to this. Where customers will say, or, or listeners would say, well, you know, I just quick claim deeded uh, my property into my kid's name. And and I don't think people realize what the pros and the cons of, the pro is, is that it's over with, it's done, it's in their name. But what what are the, the downfalls of doing a quick claim deed to a, a, a child on like a cabin again? Okay. Well, the, the biggest ones are that then, then things that could go wrong in the child's life impact the property so if the child gets a judgment a state or federal tax lien they file bankruptcy they go through divorce all those things impact the title to the property you know i've even had parents that had to buy the property back from the bankruptcy court or they had to, or you know there's a tax lien so um one of the things that we do more nowadays than we used to is instead of the quick claim deed there's what's called a transfer on death deed Mm -hmm. where the property stays in the parent's name but upon the death of the parent they have it, it automatically transfers the property to the let's say they had two kids and they named them as the 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 grant you know the yeah, grantees sure. or the you know the people that received the property on the transfer on death deed um, so we see a lot of those and that avoids the you know if the child in the meantime gets a judgment against them, it doesn't go against the property because they don't own it until the parent actually dies. So what about the inheritance tax then? I mean, obviously that is, I don't remember how many million you can get away with for, for no tax, but I mean, in some families we deal with that as a challenge. So how do they avoid yeah. inheritance taxes? Well, you know, one of the first ways to avoid it is, is that to take advantage, if you're, if you're a married couple, you each have, an, a, a, a state inherited Minnesota state inheritance tax. Um, so basically sort of what is, would be an exemption. And I believe it's approximately 3 million right now. So if you can structure your estate with a trust and or wills where you, where you use, you get $6 million you can transfer before, before anything is taxed, but uh, instead of just 3 million, so, so, and what it really involves is, is that, but if, if you have a husband and a wife, whoever dies first, you want to incur tax, a part of, you know, part of your estate's tax when that first, the first spouse dies and not just transfer it all to the second. So if, so if my wife and I have 5 million and, um, I die first, if I have approximately two and a half million that is in my trust, then that can go, that can be taxed when I die. My wife can still have the benefit of using it. But then when she dies, she has only two and a half million that is taxed, uh, would be taxed. But that, that whole five then not taxed because I can, I can shelter three, she can shelter three. Um, whereas in most families, what happens is when the, when the first spouse dies everything goes to the second spouse and then all of a sudden they have five million and they never you know they they never took it advantage at all of that three that that the first person could shelter so they now have five and they have to pay tax on two so you know and this is a really so there's some really good estate planning things that can be done to avoid that so, so what is your um what is your opinion i know we've been kind of I know Nick probably wants to jump in and get going on the conversation too, but I, I find your, your, your work is fascinating to me. And so um, when it comes down to things like wills and um, you know, planning ahead, 
what do you suggest? Do you suggest somebody come in and actually like meet with you and talk about their situation and then help guide them? Or is there a shoe that fits every foot? It, it's you're you're right. There's not a shoe, you know, and um, there is not a shoe that fits every foot. And and you know whether it's me or another lawyer in estate planning, what you want what you want to do is is really sit down and let and go over your situation and get your options so you know your options. You know what to trust. You know, wills, um, estate tax planning, like you're talking about, how to manage the family cabin. Um, even people with small estates, you know, you, you want to transfer your home. Well, how about a transfer on death deeds? So, so your home doesn't go through probate when you die. You know, there's all kinds of things that can be done. Um, it's knowledge, you know, knowledge is power. So cool. Yeah. What is, yeah. you know, so if I was out there and I, I've never, you know, thought about, I, I'm not that rich, but you do have assets, right? And I, like I tell everybody, even if you have, you know, whatever the amount is, I don't care if it's a hundred thousand or if it's 1.5 million, you know, why give it away? Why, why let, you know, that go to being taxed or lost or, you know, so protect yourself, protect your family. I think it's a responsible thing to do. What is an average family when they come in to talk about, and I know that's not your forte, but I know that you and your partner do quite a bit of this, um, like uh, estate planning. What, what does a family, what should they expect for a cost to set some of these things up. I mean, just rough numbers. Like if I wanted to come in and protect myself and I had under a certain amount, I maybe I don't need a trust. And then if I go up to this amount, I maybe need a trust and, you know, death on sale, you know, deeds and things like that. I mean, where does that start or what can I budget as, as a, as a listener here? Yeah. Oh, sure. I know. Cause people don't know if this is a thousand dollars or $10,000 to do these right. things. And, and, you know, what I see, you know, mainly is, is, um, you know, if, if you're, if, if your estate is less than $3 million, so you don't have a lot of estate tax planning issues, um, you know, it, your range probably is a thousand, you know, 2,500, you know, just depending on you, whether you're setting up trusts or not. Uh, but you know, you're, you're kind of in that range and that's okay. probably fairly common throughout the, you know, the industry. So um, and I think that I, for those, so now I've, uh, being on the other, the real estate side of things, how many families that have nothing planned and mom and dad die and there's not a will or, or one dies, the other doesn't, and there's no wills. There's no, I mean, and going through probate and going through, uh, settling an estate or, I mean, there are so many challenges that can be avoided with, let's say 1500 to 2,500 bucks. Right. I mean, that could help them and help their I don't think you, so, so when somebody has a death in the family, it's so traumatic and you're, you're planning funerals and you're, you know, and then people start bill collectors start calling and then you have to get a pile of death certificates. Cause now you have to tell everybody that you're officially your, your, your parent is, is deceased or, and it, it becomes a lot. And, and I don't think people, you know, we don't think about it cause we all think we're going to live forever, but in the event that we don't, <laughs> who knows, maybe with technology we can, um, but the idea there is, is that taking the steps to protect you and your family for a reasonable investment up front, I think is probably the, the best gift you could ever give to your family and, well, and spending the time. And I, and I agree, Andy. And I think it's, I, I really like to see the peace of mind that, that clients have when they've actually addressed it. Cause otherwise it's kind of an ogre in the room. The thing you wake up at, you know, two in the morning and think that you haven't done anything about. And, um, they just have great peace of mind, you know, that things that, okay, that's something checked off. So, yeah. So yeah. what are your nowadays, what are your, um, and then I, I've only taken up the first 40 minutes of the show. Um, it's a Jeff, it's a Jeff interview here. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, I mean, these are topics that I think that a lot of people, you know, as we go through this, um, we'll maybe fast forward one topic, but listen to the next, what are the number one real estate concerns out there right now for your clients? I mean, is it, contracts is it property line disputes is it you know deed issues what what are the big challenges you're seeing right now jeff hey jeff think on it quick i'm gonna play a little commercial while you think on the your answer okay, okay thanks you bet Have you ever heard of the term silver tsunami? It's the idea that baby boomers, as they get older, will all start to downsize at the same time and really impact the housing market. But is it really gonna happen? Here's what I can tell you. 
This graph shows 60% of adults who are 65 and up plan to stay put and live in their house uh, as they get older. That would mean a lot of baby boomers aren't planning on moving and want to age in place. And the ones who will move aren't going to do it all at the same time. So don't worry just because you're hearing about this online. It's not going to be a big wave where everyone in this generation moves at the same time. It'll happen slowly over the years. If you have any questions about what you're hearing on the housing market, I can help. I'm Andy P. Give me a call. I'd love to help you on your housing journey today. We're getting pretty fancy around here, Jeff. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where they get those graphics, but I kind of like them. Yeah, sure. It was on topic, too. You guys are talking about dying and old people. So Yeah. That was, yeah. That was really Nick. That's yeah, why Nick's yeah. here, man. He, he's in it. He's on it. So, yeah. so what are those topics? So what are you seeing right now for real estate law challenges uh, that are out there that you're seeing more common? You know, two common ones and then an interesting one, okay, if, if I have time. But one common one is 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 uh, disclosure issues that, oh. um, you know, where I think you, you might saw, Andy, all the, there's so many people bought homes, some sight unseen, a lot of them without inspection and... Um, I'm seeing more and more. I've I've seen a lot of calls for people with disclosure questions where they feel like they things weren't disclosed properly, and and um, that's been a big one. Um, you know, I, I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of situations where people bought real estate together, either like uh, significant others or family members, and they just cannot get along living together, and so. You know, they there's really no structure to what to do if you can't get along. You know, you own two people own real estate together without going to court. You know, so so I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, something really cool that I've seen lately is uh, that um, if you have highly appreciated real estate, such as you know, like apartment building or 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 maybe or or maybe you're selling land for development. Um, I've seen some cool things done with uh, charitable trusts where you're mm -hmm. able to give, um, you know, you, you, you're, you're able to avoid that really big uh, capital gains tax by, but, but, but still get to, um, you know, still realize, um, re realize, uh, you know, revenue from, from these properties by using uh, you know charitable means and 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 be able to support your a charity that you that you um are are concerned about so that's that's cool yeah i think it's cool when you can you know have a legacy and i think a lot of people you know think that you know i didn't make enough money to make an impact on anything or whatever and i disagree 100 just because those big shots give the 25 million dollar checks but you know and all of a sudden we're giving you know 100 grand who cares? It's still part of what you believe in. It's part of your fabric that made you the person that you were. And I think it's important to in, in, incorporate some of that into your, your estate. But yes. uh, hey, I have a question though too, Jeff. So in my age and a little younger, business credit is a huge thing. And a lot of people are, are using it to try to buy up Airbnbs, doing some other probably not good things. What do you think about like business uh are you seeing this too, like in real estate where people are taking a crap ton of credit out and trying to buy Airbnb investment properties? You know, I, I have seen it. I, I am seeing it. Um, uh, and then where I kind of see it, Nick, is, is then they, I get questions about, well, how shall I hold this real estate? Should I, you know, shall I put it in an LLC or shall I, you know, or, sh you know, what, what are the, what are the benefits of that versus just owning it? in my own name and and uh then you have or nick if you and your and your friend go into a business together and you try to jointly buy that you know what should you do should you put it in and how should you hold title so i see a lot of those questions the use of L limited liability companies to own real estate that people are buying yeah there, there's a lot of that right now uh nick in this marketplace where you see the the consumer saying you know hey do i want to become a licensed real estate agent or do I want to just be a contractor that buys and flips houses? So there's pros and cons of both. The contractor does not have to follow the uh, code of ethics. So the I hate to say it this way, but 
the little old lady that has a $300,000 house, she says, I'd take a hundred. And you say, great. And you write them out a check for a hundred the day. Boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden you, in my opinion, stripped all that equity away from that. That That's what I, I'll be the first one to stand up in front of anybody and say, cash offers are, they used to call that equity stripping. Nowadays it's called a cash offer. And it's the, the people that need to sell fast or quick or whatever, for whatever reason, and their equity now is getting given away. And I don't understand why that's not being protected, but beside the point, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like the, as a real estate agent though, the advantage of doing it as a real estate agent is you're following the code of ethics. Um, but also from a taxable perspective, when you sell that property, if you buy it as a real estate agent, it's considered to be income, regular income versus capital gains, subject to capital gains on top of that. So you actually there, it's, it's considered to be within our industry. So, and I'm not giving tax advice. I'm saying do your own research, but that's why some, you know, uh, I hate to say it. If you're going to flip a house or if you're going to do a cash offer, doing a cash offer with a licensed real estate agent that follows the ethics. So when they say, Hey, is my house worth a hundred? And you say, yes, you're in, <laughs> there's a fiduciary responsibility that you have right there for that client as they're coming to you as the trusted go-to and as a licensed agent, I'm going to say, you know what? It's worth 300, but I got to make a little money. Would you take 250? Everything's in writing. You know, here's your, it's worth 300. I'll give you 250. I'm going to flip it and make 50 grand. And you know, I'm fine with that. You're giving me more than I want anyway. Put it all on paper, have them sign everything. So everybody understands everything. Um, and it's a cleaner, more ethical way to do it. But I, I just, all these companies popping up, I think they're, they're thinking there's easy low hanging fruit to grab. And I just, it, it, it worries me. I a hundred percent agree, Andy. Uh, I think things that they kind of looks like it's too good to be true. Probably it is too good to be true that, you know, you're, you need to check into it, have your own agent to, like you said, um, or, you know, seek advice of an attorney, but, you know, be by it's beware, you know, beware in these situations. Well, let so, me, let me ask you this. Cause this is what's funny. I, I know for a fact, one of the, the, well, two of the biggest companies that are out there that are offering the, the gap, the cash, the, we'll buy your house, you know, uh, easy, easy, easy. Right. And I know that less than 3% of their transactions actually are those kind of sales. The rest of them are traditional real estate where they're listing the houses. So at what point, Jeff, is that considered to be bait and switch? And again, an old phrase, but you know, we offer you, hey, look at this shiny object, but really we're going to give you this. And and it's just a technique to get you in the door versus an actual business practice that they're adhering to. You know, I think that's a good a question. Number? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly where that line is, but but I think if I was the consumer and I realized I was involved in a bait and switch, I'd go get two other, you know, at least or one other um get advice from one other agent that that's that didn't try to bait and switch me you know i think that's a good um, advice jeff because i don't think a lot i think you know the the we're in an, an era where we you know like i always I, I heard a guy speak out in vegas and he said look at how consumers right now are like oh i got this great app and it's it's just easy and you press a button and a car comes and gets you and it takes you down the strip to the next place you want to go to for 20 bucks and it's so great I go, but there's zero background check. There's zero credibility check. There's zero, like, do they even have a driver's license? Are they is are they the person that they say they are? Like, you know, you get into a cab and at least they have to have their photo ID there so they can look at their face and say, okay, that is the guy that's driving or gal driving this cab. And you get into these other, you know, Ubers and the whatevers that are out there and consumers have become convenience driven versus, you know, like best practices driven. And I think that's starting to kind of wander over just like you can go online and create your own will right it just click oh, yeah. the button and for 200 bucks you got a will tell us a little bit about that because i i've got a, a two-hour show i could talk about with this but let's stay focused on real estate law so with that convenience factor with real estate law are you seeing that affect your industry or do you think people are getting you know not necessarily the proper coverage that they think they're buying or where are we at with that stuff jeff well, I think a lot of that is bait and switch too, Andy, because I think very few, there's a very, very small box uh, or, or a group of people that would fit into just, you know, being able to do a will that you can click, you know, click the box. Um, 
but what it probably is 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 more a way that they say oh you need this and then they refer you to a lawyer you know yeah. um it's, so it's not a i don't know all that to be the, but you know it, it, well that's like, like the biggest yeah the big the biggest scam in our industry right now jeff and and i say this cautiously because they got more money than they could sue me but let's say some of the it rhymes with willow and uh the, you, when you click that button and you request a showing, I don't think the consumer knows that that agent just paid $300 to $500 for that click to get that opportunity to take you to that house and sell you that house because they know that you're going to click another button again. And not beyond that, they don't understand that that agent for one showing, all of a sudden there's 2.7% being paid out. This is where all these national lawsuits I think are stemmed from. Is that, yes. you know, they're not explaining that to people. It's not crystal clear. People think they're dealing with the listing agent directly and they're not. Their name is being sold on a, a big wheel and they spin the wheel and go, okay, Billy Bob, you're up. Sally, you're up. And then they take these leads that come in. They pay a ton of money for them. And then now Zillow's getting around that too, where they're making these companies kick back 35% of the commission, Jeff. So some of these big, I call them Zillow teams, these big Zillow teams that are out there, nothing wrong with them. Right now, it's a, it's a great way for the Zillow teams to make money. But the consumer, when you click that, I don't know if you know that Zillow is making 35% of that commission because it's not disclosed. Why should it not be disclosed up front right on the button? Like, oh, by the way, you need to agree to our terms of service. And we are going to be receiving a commission off of anything that you buy that when you click this button under representation. I don't know. I just it, it I just get so upset. Yeah, and I I think that that's that's fair 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 to be upset. And you know, if you think about it, just from a consumer standpoint, um, you know, they're they're they they would pay the same price to come to an agent that's that's not paying thirty five percent of their commission. And um, you know, I don't know. Kind well, of human nature. If, yeah. If I list, if I was one of those, let's say you clicked the button and I showed up to your house, and now I'm going to sell your house, and and we're going to put it up for sale. And I have to give 35% of whatever I charge you back to a company. Do you think you're going to get a good or a fair price on your listing percentage? Or do you think I'm going to have to charge you full retail? I think full retail. And I, and I think um, human nature uh -huh. is, and I, yeah, it may be that if you're, they might work on the properties that they're not paying 35% harder than the ones that they are. I don't well, know. I, I'm maybe guessing, but. I think the lead generation uh, in our business and just, just like any other business to generate clients right now. And I think a lot of clients are being fooled by the, well, we're only going to go with technology-based real estate companies. I get, I get it. God bless you. I hope, I hope someday they do have a version for those customers seeking the no touch, but then I also want to start buying cars with no touch. I want to start buying my health insurance with no touch. I want to buy my auto insurance with no touch. I want to buy my boat, my car. I don't want to talk to a salesperson in any of those arenas then. Because those are all major arenas that can also force us to bankruptcy or force us to, you know, I, I, all I'm saying is that the guidance of a professional is appreciated by some and overlooked by others, but at least make it fair where everybody is aware of what they're doing. Right, Nick? Yeah, I, I guess I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Nick, you should be drinking coffee to stay awake during this show, man. No, it's good. There's a lot of interesting points. Um, we put them to sleep, didn't we, Jeff? <laughs> we did. <laughs> this is also what I'm interested in because I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of my tax burden. And the good way to do that is stay out of the country for 330 days of the year, foreign earned income exclusion. So oh, uh, yeah. I want to learn more about overseas property and, and those kind of rules, but I don't think that's Jeff's expertise, is it? No, not you really. Know just no, yet. Yeah, but Jeff does understand title. Property. I mean, but you trust. understand title and you want fee simple because. There's a lot of countries, Nick, where you go in there and you're like, oh, I bought a place and you're down in Mexico and everybody forgets it back. And what was it, 1987? They just took your properties away from you and said, nope, we're going to own them now. And you don't own them anymore as a foreign owner. There's no foreign owners of real estate anymore. And everything you had is gone. And everybody's like, how quickly will you forget those ridiculous situations you're in? Now, you go to Belize and some of these other countries where they actually have what they call the, the fee simple titles or you're on the title, you're the owner, there's no games, you know, that's, I would just buyer beware. And like, I hear people saying, oh, I just bought a place in Mexico. And I go, you got a hundred year lease probably, which is probably Olivia, but. No, hundred percent. The one thing I did see though, and uh, Chris can attest to it, was uh, probably $250,000 home 
you know, big, big spot, five minute walk to the beach, beautiful, had its pool, everything. And uh, the property tax annually was $600 a year. <laughs> That's crazy, huh? That is so, crazy. But hey, hey Andy, you want to uh, wrap up, uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff, you want to pitch your, your your stuff, how we get in contact with you? I'll put it on here after and whatnot. And then I just want to get it one segment with Andy about new construction for uh, clips. You bet. You bet. Well, you can you can get a hold of me um, at uh, uh, Mark Vianzuifel. It's mzlaw.us is our is our um, website. And uh, yeah, otherwise it's Jeff at mzlaw.us. And you know that too. If anybody just if if you forget all that, just message the show. We'll make sure Jeff gets your information and we'll put you in touch. Because Jeff, do you now with with a customer? How does that work? Do they walk in and immediately have to bring money and lay it on the table? Or do you guys consult for a minute? Or how does that work with, with, cause a lot of people don't know how to help uh, or receive help from a lawyer. You know, and it, 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 it kind of depends on the type of law, but the, the law that I do, you know, if I, I, I usually kind of triage the people to start with, to see what, you know, what's their, what's their, their real estate question or issue if it's something I can help them with, and I try to give them an idea of the cost, because I know they just people are concerned about lawyer costs and they don't know what the cost we. Same with estate planning. It's it's um, it it's we 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 do that on a basis where we you know we we sit down and go over what your needs are and then suggest things and the costs for them. So well, your your office is conveniently located up in Maple Grove too. So if anybody in the Twin Cities is here, easy to get to. You can go up there and hit Portillo's, get a nice uh, Italian beef sandwich for lunch, and go see Jeff yep. with your, yeah, your garlicky breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. I love Portillo's. <laughs> hey, Jeff, it was awesome to have you on. I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah, Jeff. Thanks. I, I did too. I loved it. Yeah, thanks. All right, guys, we're going to go into a new construction uh, segment. So first, it's going to be brought to you by uh, Chris Rudy Home Experts. I was just one years old when my family started in real estate, where both my parents were agents. They also dabbled in investing in real estate, rentals, flips, and construction. After college, I went right into getting my license in July of 1990. As a 23-year-old agent in an industry that looks nothing like today, I had to know more for my clients to choose me. There wasn't Zillow or social media to tell them how good I was. I had to win them over with knowledge. With knowledge comes confidence, and with confidence comes results. You miss I think he's relaxing right now, by the way. <laughs> Goes up in the sand somewhere. Hey, I'll tell you what, though. The content you guys got was really good. And you could tell it was different with you guys in person, you know? So um, well, I think a lot so of people like last week's episode. I did. The sound was off just a little bit. I don't know if you noticed that. We got to figure that out, that glitch. Oh, I like was that. talking and it was going like this. Just a little with the mouth, not uh, yeah, you got to like, clap beforehand. and But we'll, we'll get that figured out. But anyways, um, here we go. Andy, I want to go over new construction. You're you're quite an expert in this. Um, I found this property, I think, is near your area. Let's just go over like we do with the luxury listings sure. and uh, let's talk. All right. So I got one for 450 Looks like up in Hanover. Okay. 2,900 square feet. Is that all on one floor? That's a big rambler. Or that must be with the basement finish as well. Let's take a look there. Let's keep rolling around. Four bedroom, three bath, Hanover. Um, right next to probably Big Boar out there, which is a great restaurant. I don't know if you've hit it, Nick. I suppose it's been a minute since you've been back. But look at that cool little tuck under deck. That'd be awesome for grilling and rain rainy days and walk out. Really? Well, it's kind of small to do all that. Do you think you could do that there? Yeah, you know, you just that. I think this this house isn't really for the big family. This is the Ma and Pa house, you know, where you – you got a grill and a couple of little chairs and you go out there and have a glass of wine, watch the sunset. Um, nice kitchen, uh, big Island, you know, actually not a ton of cabinet space here, but I, I think that, you know, with the backside of that Island being um, a cabinet door on there, that helps a lot. Cause I think we forget that part of the kitchen is that that's where you hide all your crock pots and your holiday stuff. So when we downsize a lot of people, for, well, what am I gonna do with all my stuff that I had, you know, in my big cabinets. Right. So that uh that's nice i like drawers on the bottom that's nice white is kind of the thing though isn't it it's uh it seems to be you know i, I i've always fought it because i thought you know oh, it's going to be dated or whatever but 
A lot of people enjoy the all white uh, woodwork. Um, it allows builders to actually uh, give you a savings as well, because a lot of times with white woodwork, it's not real wood. It's actually the uh, manufactured uh, density fiberboard, the MDF or whatever it is. And a lot of times it can be painted and looks beautiful. Um, and it's not even wood. So you save thousands of dollars, helps keep the price points down on the cabinets. Um, they can also do that where they're a painted cabinet. Um, and then they're not necessarily a real wood cabinet. So if you see a, you're walking through a model house and it doesn't show, you know, a lot of grain on the cabinet, you're just seeing a really fat, flat, smooth, perfect door. Um, they're not perfect because the wood was perfect. They're perfect because they're probably also an MDF product, which is nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's just different. Nice bathroom, nice fireplace. That's almost a must nowadays. The, you see the, uh, the square, uh, uh vault on that room. I don't know if you can kind of scroll up into the ceiling a little bit. Um, there you go. So that, that's a fun way to accent ceilings now. And what's kind of cool too, is you see Nick, where they have the, the wall is gray that allows you to put some color up on your ceiling. So it really adds a dimension of texture, um, or having that height versus sometimes with the pan vaults, you kind of lose that because of the angles and it's optical illusion. It looks, you know, taller, but it's not quite as dramatic as, as the box. There you go, nice little bedroom, nice little side windows, which are cute uh, in a model, but are a pain to keep covered, especially if the sun comes up on that side of the house. So I always tell people, if you're morning people, that's great. If you're not, you might not want to have those windows. Basement walkout, all finished. That's where we're getting the 2,900 square feet. So that house is probably 1,400 square feet-ish a floor, you know, um, and nice walkout like that. Big windows, lots of natural light. Kind of looks like you're overlooking a, a barn back there. And um, but yeah, nice little office, sliding doors. I like that. Cool carpet, tuck unders, nice and easy. Lots of folding in the laundry room there. Nice house, actually. Nice front door. That's the other thing I think a lot of builders miss on is that front door. I think that it really gets missed. And there's not a uh, a lot of, um, I don't know, as you, as you come up to a house and it's a smaller home, smaller doors. I would spend the time to make sure that house really has the curb appeal. And with a smaller front on the home, you can, you can spend more um, for less, right? You get more for less. And so uh, I love it. So beautiful hardwood floors. Love it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great house. This is a house somebody could buy and get old and, and still be current with all the design and the style. And it's worth that, worth that price, Andy. Oh yeah. That's a really fair price. Yeah, right now you're seeing a lot of that similar house a little closer in. Now, for those of us that aren't familiar with like Hanover, Hanover's a northwestern um, suburb that's out a little bit. You know, it's kind of on your way out to the Buffaloes and, and that, and it's the, or the you know, 15 minutes past Maple Grove um, kind of a thing. And so that's why you're seeing that 490s. In in the Blaine, Maple Grove, you're going to see that with a six in front of it. And it says 135 days on Zillow, though. Well, that's because it's new build. So that's the other thing. New build, sometimes the builders will actually list the houses while they're under construction to draw interest. You'll also see, this is what's crazy, Nick. You're going to see the price go from 490 to 520 back to 550 to 450. And the bill, as they're adding things to that house or making decisions like, hey, let's finish the basement or let's add landscaping or a, a perfect example of that is like this time of the year, a lot of homes will not have the landscaping done because they were built in the fall. And those builders want you to close on that house and they don't want to have to leave money in escrow. So what they'll do is they'll just sell that house without, so they reduce the price, back out the landscaping, and then you do it on your own. So that's why you'll see builders changing and fluctuating prices. But this is where uh, I say, bring an experienced agent with you because when you're looking at these houses and you're like, that last fall, that house was 525 and now it's 490. There's probably a couple of reasons. It's probably missing the landscaping, missing the irrigation, Maybe it doesn't have the patio that the other model had or whatever. And so those are the things that you want to do a little bit more of the investigation on to make sure that you're getting what you really think you're getting. Very good, Andy. Very good. That was a nice uh, segment there. Uh, we'll wrap it up. Right now. Where are you right now? We never, we never got to catch up. Columbia. I'm in Cali still. Been here for a month. Well, I'm for those of us that know what Cali is, what is Cali? It's a city in Colombia. It's an infamous city for the Cali cartel and uh, a lot of killings and danger. And but it's amazing. And the salsa capital of the world. Dancing, not eating, right? Yeah, dancing, salsa dancing. Yeah, yeah. No, salsa. it's. Uh, I, I've been watching your videos. It's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an exciting. You got a good one. vibe, you said, huh? 
Barry. No, I, I like it a lot. It's it's a good city. But now I'm gonna go to the beach in the Caribbean, Santa Marta. So it'll be uh it'll be good. And I'm going over back to to Europe and in, in Munich. But Andy, stay after. I want to talk to you quick. Um, everyone right. else, click that link. Um, this was a good little format. I'm glad we did without Chris. We don't need him, right? But uh, click the link. We have our our websites on there. It's your father. Subscribe to YouTube. You know, send us yeah. likes, all that kind of stuff. So, Andy, we'll see you. Uh, uh, and everyone else next week. All right, okay? sounds good. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.